Ever wanted a career in football? From TV deals to player transfers, football is now a global, multi-billion dollar industry in need of qualified professionals who know the sport inside and out. Brought to you by the Global Institute of Sport, the Masters of Football Business is delivered by experts from Australia and around the world. Learn online with unique access to networking and guest speaker events at the iconic MCG. Be one of the first Australians to get a football master's degree. Apply now to start in February 2022. Learn more at gis.sport/fnr. gis.sport/fnr. Sometimes I feel I don't know. I don't know. Buona giornata. Buona serata. Buona giornata. There's not really time to relax and take an espresso for Juventus. <laughs> You don't have to get a bad ditch. You don't have to get a bad ditch. Attaccare! Attaccare! Welcome back to the Euro Show here on FNR Football Nation Radio. Nick Tabano and Josh Parrish here. We're sitting down today, Josh. If you're watching on the live stream, uh, we've decided that we're going to, you know, be a little bit more lazy today. Get off our feet. It's a hot day, Mel. It's been hot yeah. for days. Just non-stop 35-degree weather. And it's gone to that point where it's like, all right, we need some cold weather. We need to sit down and be mm. a little bit more, you know, in a little bit more comfort, I guess. Because being on your feet for a while, it's never too nice. Yeah, you just got to chill out. You just got to enjoy life. You just got to have that carefree attitude, which is uh, what one exiled Italy striker has in spades. Oh, unless you get on the wrong side of him and he completely blows up. Uh, that's Mario Balotelli, who's going to be a big part of today's show, I think, Nick. Yep, so we'll be discussing all things Mario Balotelli, who is on his way back to the Azzurri for their crunch uh, World Cup qualifiers coming up in March. We'll talk a little bit about the Serie A title race and a little bit about the sunset or pitch uh, for this mo- morning's game between Milan and Juve. Uh, was resembled more something from State League 3 here in Victoria rather than that of one of the premier sporting venues in the world. We'll discuss some of the other title races in the Bundesliga after Madrid dropped some points. Borussia Dortmund with a big win. Nathaniel Atkinson debuting on the weekend for Hearts. We'll also get into that one as well. And a little bit of transfers and AFCON as well, including one transfer which has come from nowhere. And I think it's going to it's going to warm the cockles and have everyone quite excited about a potential six-month contract for a footballer who we weren't even sure whether they would ever take the pitch again. So it's great to see. We'll get into that one just a little bit later on, Josh. But let's start off with Mario Balotelli. Over the weekend, Fabrizio Mano and Gianluca Di Marzio broke that Roberto Mancini was considering, considering calling Mario Balotelli up. But it is good. It is as good as confirmed. I believe that there will be a... So obviously, remember, international window coming up. UEFA don't recognize this international window. But there's still an opportunity four players to be called into a camp. And apparently Mario Balotelli is among them, putting him firmly in the mix for those massive World Cup qualifiers coming up in March where they will take on Macedonia and then potentially Portugal or Turkey to see whether they get to Qatar. Now, this has divided opinion, um, especially when you consider that Mario Balotelli has not played for Italy now for almost four years. Uh, he's now playing over in Turkey at the moment for the newly promoted side by the name of, just what gets correctly, Adana Demir Spor. Yes. He scored eight goals for them. Um, he's had quite a, quite a good season. So it's not like he's playing in a in a poor league or anything like that. He's up there. They're fourth in the league as well. They've come from winning the second division to now putting themselves right in the mix to potentially play in Europe. They're above Fenerbahce. They're above Besiktas. They're above Istanbul Basak. Basakshir, they're above Galatasaray, who are also really struggling. So Balotelli's back. Now, this is interesting. Josh, I want to get your thoughts first, because I think we're on different sides in regards to this. How do you see Balotelli returning to the national team fold? Uh, I think it's fun. Is it is that a consideration for the Italian national team, whether it will be fun? Uh, potentially, but I think that there's more to it. There's a lot more to it than just vibes. We know Balotelli is pure vibes. Depends, as we said earlier, mm. what side of the... Uh, what side? Oh, you know, if you're, you're on his is, good or his bad side, you know? This is like a toxic, unhealthy relationship that Roberto Mancini, no matter how much success he has in his <laughs> career, no matter how many trophies he wins, he won the Euros, for God's sake. 
he has to go back to Mario Balotelli, the, the guy that's let him down time and time and time again. This is ridiculous. How How is this guy even in contention playing in Turkey for one of the smaller clubs in the in the division? Like, he's been out of, you know, serious top-level football for quite some time now. Every much-vaunted move ends in tears after maybe some early promise. Isley have got two of the most important games well, potentially just one if it goes really poorly, but two big playoff games coming up to make the World Cup at the end of the year. And in such a high-pressure scenario, you turn to the man who's let you down more times than anybody else. Like This is this is crazy to me. I don't know why Mancini would want to hitch his wagon to a guy who he had a fight with at training. Um, interesting. Interesting point of view because I understand the frustration. I understand this actually says a lot more about Italy's striker striker pool right now than anything. Mm. But there's one thing you've got to remember about Mario Balotelli is that over the past 15 years, Italy have not produced a striker as talented as Mario Balotelli. Naturally talented. If I'm thinking maybe only Gianluca Scamacca. And Gianluca Scamacca right now is the number one leading striker for Italy. There's one thing as well we've got to remember about Italy's striker pool and the players that have gotten their opportunity over the past year. Even when they won the Euros, they haven't necessarily performed. Now, Balotelli's form for Italy as well has been the best sort of striker rate out of any striker in recent times. He scored 14 goals in 36 games. Compare that to Ciro Immobile, who scored 15 from 54. Compare that to Andrea Bellotti, who has scored 12 from 41. Now, I, I'm a big fan of Andrea Bellotti, I'm not so much of a big fan of Chiro Immobile. He's had his opportunities. He, as far as I'm concerned, even if he does get selected, he's not the number one striker. But it's not like Italy is saying right now, okay, Mario Balotelli's been selected, he's going to lead the line. I don't think he'll lead the line. To be honest, I don't even think he will play. I honestly think that Skamaka's got that spot lined up. For me, he's actually doing pretty well in Turkey, and that is not necessarily a poor leg. It's not like well, he's doing it. If he's it not in... going to play, why bring him into the squad as a potential destabilizing okay. influence ahead okay. of a big playoff game? But you got to consider as well, and I was getting to it, the striker depth is not great right now. Bellotti is injured. Mm-hmm. Immobile hasn't been playing well for Italy for quite some time. It literally just leaves Gianluca Scamacca. Moise Keane's barely getting on the pitch for Juventus right now. Who else is there? Chicho Caputo's not scoring. Quagliarella's not scoring. They're getting Raspadori up front? Raspadori will not be able to play up top, and that, that, that that's not... That's not best utilizing Giacomo Raspadori, who best thrives as a 10 or thrives out wide. Um, He's someone who I could see making an impact off the bench. But really, Italy are hamstrung right now in terms of their striker pool. And I think there's one thing we've got to remember about Balotelli is that, as we mentioned, the guy is so freaking talented. I know he burns bridges, but there aren't many players that can do what he can do. I haven't seen many players, not just in Italian football, but in world football, number nines over this period of time that could take over a game like he could. When he was locked in, there weren't many that could do what he could. If I know it was 10 years ago now, but seeing what he could do at Euro 2012 and then coming out of that period, although he came out of that, he was still at Man City for six months and he burnt his bridge with Roberto Mancini. He went to AC Milan. He scored 12 goals in six months. He had a really good season there. And then he made that fateful move to Liverpool. After that, things didn't really pan out for him. He had a good period at, at Nice. But you've got to remember, this guy still is just has the raw talent that not many other players do. doesn't matter if he's not playing necessarily in Serie A right now. He's the fifth or sixth highest goal scorer in Turkey for a team that's fourth. Might be a small club, but they're fourth in the Super League. We mentioned the teams that they're all above right now. Mm. There is every chance that he comes in. And even if he doesn't play... You know what? Right now, Italy don't really have much of a choice. They need to try anything because plan A hasn't worked. That was Immobile. Plan B hasn't worked, and that's Bellotti. Plan C is Gianluca Scamacca, who is the most informed Italian striker right now. And plan D is Mario Balotelli. Is there no one from the youth teams, the youth national team setups that they can call up? Sebastiano Esposito. But, uh, Christian Volpato. No, nah, that's not where I was going. He's a 10. He's not a striker. I know, I'm taking the piss. Um, uh, Andrea Pinamonti has scored um, some goals for Empoli this season. Esposito has always been regarded as a, as a high, yes, but, highly promising talent. Is there no one in the youth ranks that you could bring but in? But you know that Balotelli can score for Italy because he's done it before. He's done it on the big stage. If, okay. He had one good tournament. But he scored for Italy. He scored the 2014 World Cup. 
Okay. He scored in qualifiers. Yeah, and they didn't get out of the group stage with him. But that was more than top. just the issue of Balotelli. There were a lot more issues that ran a lot deeper than Mario Balotelli in 2014. It was strike partnerships. It was composition in midfield. It was the injury to Buffon. There were a lot of other things that went wrong. That was a sinking ship long before the 2014 World Cup. Pinamotti scored seven goals for Empoli this season. I don't think he's a bad striker, but to be honest, again, high stakes environment. You're going to Balotelli. 15 minutes to go in a big game and you need a goal. Balotelli can do that because that guy can just get the ball. He's so immensely talented. He can score a goal from anywhere. He can make this stuff happen. You get a set piece. He's one of the best set piece takers Italy's had in terms of a dead ball situation. Penalties, he's a dead eye. Penalty shootout. This is what it could come down to as well. I guess so. Balotelli very rarely has missed a penalty in his entire life. Like I very, I think he's got like a. I, I saw his record the other day. He was missed something like two. Yeah, it's something crazy like that. So and he does and, have and Italy a great have had a lot pens. of yeah. So thirty eight of forty three penalties taken in his whole career, and Italy have had a lot of big penalties in recent time. And Jorginho hasn't necessarily been that guy anymore. And his two penalties, his those penalties missed were the reason why Italy aren't okay. there in the World Cup right now. So for me, having him there. Literally saying, you know what, we are desperate. I know it says a lot about Italy's striker stocks and something they're definitely going to have to answer down the track. Like going forward beyond Qatar, that's something they're definitely going to have to look at. But I don't think it's the worst thing right now. I'm all for it. Because if this guy continues to play the way he does over the next couple months especially, and he comes in, he shows a good attitude in camp as well, and he's, he's locked in, he's ready to go, he knows this is it. This is his last chance. Mm. We all thought, you know, after he didn't get selected by Ventura... Um, in that period of time where Italy missed the World Cup. He got a first reprieve under uh, Mancini for three games. It didn't work out for him. That was at a period of time where he was on the way out of Nice. For me right now, he's found his form again. He's found his feet in Turkey. This is the perfect time to select him. This says more to me about the lack of depth uh, among local Italian young players actually playing first-team football in Serie A. It does. It, it's very concerning. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of old blokes on this top scorer list. I was expecting to see a lot of names from maybe the mid-table clubs with 21, 22-year-olds no. with seven, eight goals to their name this season. Rarely a striker to be found amongst them. Peter Monti is probably the best performing so far this season. I can't claim to have seen much of him, but a lot of these guys are foreigners. Yeah. You know, if only you could naturalize Giovanni Simeone. Well, I don't know if he's from memory. I'm not too sure. I think he's Argentinian, but I think that he actually is eligible to play for Italy. But there's one name as well that, that they probably will select that he's on that list. That is Jao Pedro, who is also naturalized and he's set to be selected. Giovanni Simeone has already played five games for Argentina. Oh, so he is cap tied, um, but he did have the option. But at that point in time, uh, it was at a period around the World Cup and obviously very different where Argentina and Italy were at that point in time. Um, so that's definitely something Italy are ruining. I mean, it, it, Paolo Dybala had the choice of playing for Italy as well a very long time ago and he chose Argentina. There are There is a big worry going forward in terms of Italian strikers because you mentioned Pinamonti's strike partner, Patrick Cutrone, was heralded as the next one to come through. Patrick Cutrone hasn't come through. Moise Keane, he's still very young, but he was supposed to come back to Juventus and play. He's not. So there's a big... Big problem with the talent pool right now. And would, there's really only still, Gianluca Scamacca. not playing, I would still sooner call up Moise Keane as the backup striker. He might still get called up. That's the thing. I, I just don't think that Balotelli is, is a worthwhile risk. I can just I just see this ending in tears, Nick. I'll, we'll come back to a, this question around the qualifiers. Yeah, sure. But I just see in my mind's eye a tragic red card against North Macedonia or Portugal. Well, that's the thing. That leads to Italy missing the World Cup again twice in a row. But if I'm looking at Italy's last squad, Josh, there's probably going to be a, a, quite a few changes to those, that, stru- that, that front line. I think Moise mm-hmm. Keane will be one of them because one thing we've got to remember as well, Federico Chiesa won't be there. He's torn his ACL, sure. so he's out for seven months. They need wingers big. too. That's a massive loss in terms of the way Italy like to play. He's a, he's a focal point on the counter. Um, there aren't too many other players, even wingers, that are necessarily performing, that are like Italian wingers right now that are performing at that level. You know, Matteo Politano's had a decent season, but Moise Kane. His versatility, being able to play as a nine and playing out wide, might put him just ahead of him. So I honestly think that they will pick Keane, they will pick Immobile, they will pick Scamacca, and they will pick Balotelli. It's a lot of strikers. It's a lot of strikers, but remember as well, Keane, versatility can play out wide too. And there aren't many other options that Italy have got to play in the wide areas. We don't know what's going to happen with Insigne's situation. Because, yeah. again, it doesn't matter how talented he is. There's this thing that Italy's got about players that go and play in the MLS or play outside of Europe. And that's a big issue. 
So it's going to be a watch and see. Um, Are we missing the obvious here? Does Italy need to find some other way to play to best serve Chiro Immobile's strengths? Because if he's a goal machine in Serie A, but he can't get it done in the national team, does that suggest potentially that they should be playing two up front? Uh, Potentially. To support him better. Because he can't play in a 4-3-3. But then again, though, there's one thing you've got to remember about Immobile is he gets the opportunities for Italy. He gets himself in a lot of good areas. I've seen in qualifiers, in the Euros, he missed a ton of opportunities. So and it's a bit of both. Don't get me wrong, it's a so bit of both. Just on the big stage, can't handle it. He's yeah, but to be honest, Immobile, in terms of a big, big moment, there aren't too many. He scored in a couple of big games for Lazio, but he stats paid against a lot of small teams. Mm. See, um, I haven't watched as much as Italy no, as, no, that's as you fine. have. But what I see is the shortcoming in his game is he's just not involved enough. Yeah, and and the, when maybe when the ball comes to him with those opportunities... You know, because he's not connected to the rest of the team. Maybe he's not as in the zone. Whereas in, uh, like, at Lazio, maybe this season is not as good an example. But when they were playing two up top, there was a little bit less pressure on him to try and, you know, create sure. with his back to goal. Sure. And also as well, one thing you've got to remember is he's got two guys feeding him the ball in the names of Luis Alberto and Sergei Milinkovic-Savic. Neither are, of whom are, sadly, yes. eligible no, for but the like national team. In terms of service, there's, yeah, exactly. there's no... there's you, you can rattle off as many names in terms of great service he gets. But if you do play two up top with Italy, what happens is you kind of then hamstring yourself in attack because Insigne and Chiesa playing out wide was so important to the way Italy played. You might be able to change things now, but all I can see them doing is Berardi will come in on the right wing. Insigne will probably still start. I can't see them going and playing with a 10 because, to be honest, you look at who their options are to play as a 10. You could play Insigne there, but I don't think that best utilizes him. He hasn't thrived a hell of a lot as a 10. You're not going to play Bernadeschi there. And really, it's only Lorenzo Pellegrini or Nicolo Zagnolo. And Zagnolo hasn't shown it as a 10. He's, again, a wide player. Lorenzo Pellegrini is a Nicola Barella clone, just loves to spam late runs. It might work. It might be something to look at down the track. But I think they're going to go with the 4-3-3, and I think Immobile... I don't even think Immobile is going to be um, starting come the the opener against Macedonia. Let's finish this with uh, a couple of Mancini quotes about Balotelli, shall we? Sure. I told him, if you played with me 10 years ago, I would give you every day maybe one punch in your head. (laughs) There are different ways to help a guy like Mario. I don't speak with him every day. Otherwise, I would need a psychologist. But I speak with him because I don't want to lose his quality. If Mario is not one of the best players in the world, it will be his fault because he has everything. Mario can be one of the top players in Europe. I don't want to lose his talent, he said a year before letting Balotelli go. (laughs) Uh, And then following Balotelli's dismissal against Arsenal, I finished my words for him. I finished. I love him as a guy, as a player. I know him. He's not a bad guy and he is a fantastic player. But at this moment, I'm very sorry for him because he continues to lose his talent, his quality. I hope for him he can understand that he's in a bad way for his future and he can change his behavior in the future. But I'm finished. And then a few weeks later, he actually brought Balotelli on against QPR, delivered the assist for Aguero. You know, 30 minutes beforehand, Mancini following concession of the second goal against QPR had just yelled to every single one of his players in succession. And you can see this. You can, it's not hard to lip read from the mm. TV cameras. F you, F you, F you, F you. So it's, it's never dull when Mancini and Balotelli yeah, are around. It's an explosive combination. There's one thing you've got to remember is that this was Mancini 10 years ago. And there's been this whole thing about the, the Mancini sort of redemption arc and how he's changed his coaching philosophy and the way that he handles things a lot differently and now. what could be a worse way to send him back to his old methods than bringing in but, the most toxic, triggering member of his but, old but, squads? But what could also be the best? But the thing is, though, sometimes you need to relive some of your hardest memories to really show that you've grown as a person. If we're going to go full philosophy here, sometimes you need to really test yourself. And this is why this is ego from Mancini to call him up. He thinks he, he but, still thinks he can fix him. But the thing is, though, Josh. He sees Mario and he thinks, I can fix you. This is not just the issue about I can fix you. This is the thing about as well that Italy need to pick him. Oh, we had to have an yeah. excuse. We had yeah. to have an excuse to pick him. But no, this isn't the real reason. The real but, reason we don't is because that. he's delving we into his troubled past and trying to overcome the one hurdle that always eluded him. But if you run away from your past and you don't overcome it, you don't you don't grow, you don't move on as a person. Maybe maybe he's being told this by somebody else and maybe he's sitting down on a couch and being <laughs> and uh, I don't know. We You're don't want to dive into I feel Yeah, maybe maybe he's seeing his own Dr. Melfi. I don't know, I don't <laughs> want to jump into speculation. But anyways, uh, moving on from Mario Balotelli, there was some action in Serie A very quickly. 
uh, run through some of the results. The Inter- reason we're talking about this is because it was the most dull Milan-Juventus game oh, that you're ever was, likely to see. We'll get to that in just a sec. <laughs> uh, in terms of other, some of the other results, Inter 2-1 over Venezia. Dzeko with a winner in the last minute. Inter looking more and more likely to win the Scudetto with every passing moment. Napoli winning the derby against Salernitana 4-1. A very convincing win for them. Roma 4-2 win against Empoli. Tammy Abraham on fire at the moment. If there's one guy that should be getting selected for those, well, for whenever England play next, it won't be in March. Tammy Abraham should definitely be front of mind. I'll tell you what, he's having some season. And especially after he had a bit of a lean patch, he's starting to hit some form at the moment. Now up to 10 goals this season in the league. But the big game, the main event of the weekend was Milan versus Juventus. Probably one of the worst Milan-Juventus games in recent history. Um... Just a shocker, which was hindered by the state of the Sunset or pitch. Um, we know there's been a lot of issues with the Sunset or pitch going back many years, but this was as worse as I've seen it probably in about easily probably about five or six years. I thought they were playing this game at Spotless Stadium. It looked like that. It looked like we're going to have Adam Peacock come and just <laughs> pick up a, a whole lot of residue. Shard of train, glass. You know, shards of glass and nails. Um, you could see the ball just bobbling around. Mid, the, neither midfield was able to get any control. So the game just opened up into this chaotic end-to-end. It was weird because it, it opened up, but there were not many chances because every time there was a chance to get inside the area, the final ball would just bobble out of the way for, like, the for say, Diaz looking to get on the end I mean, of the, the ball. I mean, the ball was going from one end to the other of the pitch, but I yeah. don't think the players were ever in control of that ball no. for any length the of ball, time. When the ball would bounce, it'd just fly. So it, it resembled more what you might see down in, uh, in Ashburton on, say, <laughs> a Saturday afternoon in the middle of June. But it's, it's had a rather big consequences on both the top four and the Serie A race. Uh, Milan four points behind Inter. They've got Inter after the international break in two weeks' time, uh, which probably will seal the Scudetto if Inter do win it. They do have a game in hand as well. Juventus missed an opportunity to climb inside the top four after Atalanta dropped points. They're still a game behind them, a point behind them, and they've played one extra game than them as well. So you can't really read too much into this game other than the fact that it also... Poor Zlatan Ibrahimovic, his 40-year-old body couldn't cope and actually caused a lot of damage to his Achilles and he was forced to be subbed off after 25 minutes. Uh, probably says more about the fact that Milan probably need to move on from starting Zlatan. I'm, I'm now starting to really move away from that camp and think it's time to unleash Mr. Rebic from the start and lean, and just leave him up top. But I don't see uh, Stefano Pioli going down I think down they should that. do the Italian national team a solid and start uh, playing Pietro Pellegrini. So well, can... Piet, talking about Pietro Pellegrini, he's actually about to sign for Torino. So oh. uh, Monaco are set to sell him to Torino. Uh, he hasn't played a hell of a lot due to injuries and also form. So Pellegrini will be on his way there, which is actually not a bad thing for Italy at no. all if he's playing. So that's the one positive. He's another one we've kind of forgot about. So yes, Pellegrini, another one to keep your eye on if he starts getting minutes at Torino. Um, and in terms of all the other ones we said, Inter on the board, Napoli on the board as well. Some players coming back from AFCON a little bit more prematurely and maybe some more to come in just a sec. Is Roma suddenly becoming entertaining? Are they, are they well, box they office to. now? They have, well, they have to show something. I mean, this something. is the most entertaining Mourinho team I've seen for ages. It's not because they're necessarily good. It's just, they've it's, got just, a, it's just they're dysfunctional, but also they score goals. They're chaotic and they've, <laughs> they've gotten an Australian diaspora in terms of new support base coming from here because of a certain guy that's they're <laughs> waiting to see if he'll be on the bench every week. Uh, but no, they, they have been, they've sort of taken the handbrake off. They've, you know, started to play a bit more attacking, but that's almost um, cause of conceding a lot of goals. So you have to start chasing games. Their defense has been their Achilles heel all season and still is. Uh, the signing of Sergio Oliveira in midfield has been a very good one so far. He scored two goals in two games, um, really helped stabilize them in the middle of the park alongside Brian Cristante. He's taken Jordan Veretout's spot in the starting 11. It looks like he's settling with the 3 4 1 2 with Ainsley, mate, Niles now coming across on loan, playing as a wing back. No, he's not playing in midfield, so he hasn't gotten his wish just yet. And they've found a decent partnership with uh, Abraham and now Zaniola playing a bit more centrally. That's another one to keep an eye on. If Zaniolo can play that second striker role, could be something again for Roberto Mancini to keep an eye on. How many random Englishman is Mourinho going to cram into this starting eleven? Well, Smalling, I'm, Abraham, Maitland-Niles, the perennial victim of his own versatility. Yeah, well, I'd be very curious to see if maybe he might bring Phil Jones out of the wilderness next and bring him across. <laughs> I would after. love that. Well, he did have his uh, that man of the match performance a few weeks ago after he made that long-awaited return. But, uh, yeah, uh, look, Roma, they haven't had much go for them this season. They've won their last two games. They're still in the hunt. They're only five points behind Atalanta Mm -hmm. for top four. 
And look, you know what? If they can make it a bit of a race, a bit of a run now and try and close that gap a little bit, they've got a very favourable run of games coming up against Genoa, Sassuolo, Verona, and Spezia. They might be able to close that gap just a little bit. Just before we get to a break as well, uh, Josh, just one thing. Unsurprising result from the weekend. Sampdoria losing their first game under Marco Giampaolo. It's a matter of not if, but when he'll be sacked before the end of the season. Going down against Thiago Motta Spezia, who are proving to really put egg in all of our faces because they have been very good this season, despite having a transfer ban. They're one of the weakest teams in Serie A on paper. But they've found a way to keep their head above water. They're eight points above the drop right now. Are they playing a 2-7-2? Uh, no, but um, <laughs> this is the for context. Thiago Motta is apparently his preferred formation. He's a two-seven-two. Was uh, a goalkeeper classed as a member of the midfield? So yes. Make of that what you will. He's it sounds really, like a football manager experiment gone wrong. Look, to be honest, um, I like the thought. Like I like the thought of everyone being a midfielder. He's taken Guardiola's tactics to literally like the, the illogical conclusion. He's taken them to the next level, not the Neds, the next level, um, <laughs> and he's really ramped that up and. You know, that's on roids. So it's good to see it's worked out for him at Spezia. It didn't at Genoa. I've always been a fan of Thiago Motta in terms of him as a player. Before that, when he was at PSG and even for Italy, even he wasn't too great for Italy, I always liked Thiago Motta. So good to see him getting it done as well as a coach. But Josh, let's take a quick break. After this, we'll dive into a little bit of the Bundesliga and La Liga title race and also to a former Melbourne City man, Nate Atkinson, debuting on the weekend for Hearts. Yes, it was against the Sixth Division Scottish side. Two assists. And he's saying to Graham Arnold, look at me now. Look what I can do. Why didn't I get selected? So we'll dive into that just after the break here on the Euro Show on FNR. Sometimes I feel, I don't know. I don't know. Buona giornata. Buona serata. Buona giornata. There's not really time to relax and take an espresso for Juventus. <laughs> Welcome back to the Euro Show here on FNR. Nick DeBono and Josh Parrish here taking you right through to 7pm. Or if you're listening on the podcast, make sure you leave a review, give us a like, give us a follow, get behind us. Uh, back tomorrow, Radio Dub and uh, the Oz Football Hour, yes. I believe. All back tomorrow, Josh. Yes, indeed. Jason Goldsmith is going to be my uh, co-host for yep. the foreseeable future. It's fantastic to have him on board because he's a multi-time published author and the subject of Australian football. So we'll be... Delving deep into Carl Jenkinson and the cum dog. Yes, absolutely. And also a little bit about the Matildas who are playing tonight against the Philippines up against Stadge and yourself and Pakul Frimpong will go through all of that and all the A-League women's action over the weekend. But Josh, as well, Wednesday, big day for yourself heading out to the African Cup of Nations finals and a special guest joining you as well. Yes, indeed. So this is very exciting. Uh, The African Nations Cup is a tournament, community tournament, uh, where basically it's like the real AFCON, except all with you know Melbourne-based NPL <laughs> talents and so forth playing for their respective countries. I was there uh, yesterday, fantastic semifinals. Uh, Kenya demolishing uh, Djibouti 4-0 with a very confident display and then Djibouti responding with one of the worst slide tackles I've ever seen uh, in the second half out of frustration, I think. Uh, but then the second game really delivered uh, with South Sudan coming from behind 2-1 down to win 4-2. They actually scored the opening goal of the game and their goalkeeper was credited with the goal. Oh, wow. Just booted it all the way down the pitch. It took an unkind bounce. The keeper... Let it slip through his fingers, and uh, that was it. And the Sydney's keeper, mine, uh, mine, who's uh, playing for Avondale, you might remember in the Doherty Cup final, made his debut. Uh, celebrated like he meant it. Just <laughs> ran all the way to the bench, jumped on somebody's back. As you would, it was fantastic. as you would. So, uh, and everyone's everyone's doing the Ronaldo celebration. It can't be stopped. Even tennis fans, it's, it's an irresistible force. Don't try to fight it. So that's going to be fun on, on Wednesday. We've got the women's final as well. We're streaming and we're hoping to have a very special guest with multiple caps for Australia. And you might have seen her in a Melbourne victory shirt this season. So you're dropping more and more hints. More hints. More hints. For, uh, for the audience. So see if you can figure out well, cryptically got, who that might be. Well, you got a little bit longer to wait. You'll find out on Wednesday afternoon. Looking forward to it, Josh. But let's get back into the action here today. Uh, big weekend in Germany and also in Spain. The Bundesliga title race is still alive. Just, just. I mean, six points is the is gap. It? It's alive, is but it it's like Bayern are just holding Dortmund at an arm's length like they do every other season. Dortmund with a 3-2 win over Hoffenheim, Bayern a 4-1 win over Hertha Berlin. 
Um, cracking first goal in that Dortmund game from Erling Haaland. Fantastic. Just unbelievable. Mm. Just unbelievable. Good to see Dortmund are at least keeping it interesting. Um, but whether that will, you know, whether that will actually continue for how long, that's the other question because they always seem to fall away just when they get within a chance. It reminded me a little bit of Jack Wilshere's goal against Norwich for Arsenal with that uh, ridiculous yes. combination play around the edge of the penalty area. Uh, but then you look at the stats in this game, and Dortmund scored three goals from, from two shots. from two shots on target. Ah. One of them was an own goal. So there you go. is it possible to both score one of the greatest goals, team goals of the European season, and also be football terrorists at the same time? Possibly. Yeah. Possibly. It they, happens. They definitely are economical about yes. the way they do things uh, over in Dortmund. And uh, Hoffenheim, Andre Kramerich becoming the first Hoffenheim player in the club's history to score 100 goals wow. for the team. Wow. So uh, the commentator had a prepared line. It was fantastic. The first Hoffenheim centurion. I love it. Uh, it I was great. It. So, uh, yeah, he's he's been a very consistent mm-hmm. presence up top for Hoffenheim over the years. And I do wonder why a bigger club hasn't come in for him. But uh, Kramerich continues to do the business for Hoffenheim, who went down but perhaps didn't deserve to. Yeah. I, I honestly think Dortmund could play like this and win every game for the rest of the season and it wouldn't matter because Bayern will still probably win the title. <laughs> they won't just won't drop points. That's, they are that's just the issue. steamrolling at the moment. They won 4-1 against Hertha. Uh, four different goal scorers. Just the depth in that team is incredible. They had 30 shots and they're not even pretending to play like a back line anymore. No. They played a back three with Kimmich in midfield. They played 3-6-1 <laughs> with just an attacking midfield front line of Kingsley Coman, Leroy Sane, Thomas Muller, and Serge Gnabry. So this is Guardiola Speck from yeah. uh, <laughs> he used to come out with some of these lineups in the Bundesliga and it seems to almost disrespect the competition. Yeah, it's uh dare I say it, it's a it's like the attacking version of Ange's back three back in the day when he went to the three two three four two one and It's actually a lot like Ange's system. Yeah, like he, remember that game against Iraq where he was playing uh Lecky and Cruz's Cruz's wing, back? wing backs, yeah. This is the this is exactly the positions the that Gnabry and was Coman that, are taking. Was up. that the famous game where it was like it was dreadful conditions. Like oh. it was like rainy. If you thought the San Siro yeah. was bad on the weekend, you should have seen that pitch. I think it was actually in Iran. But yeah, they played it there because they of they played reasons. at like the D grade stadium yeah. in Iran because I guess maybe they are uh, like weren't super keen on having the Iraq national team in the country yeah. and they just gave them the worst stadium and worst pitch possible. Well, that was like um, and they... there was a billboard with the Ayatollah in the background, which really seemed to rub it in. But anyway, well, it's like um, <laughs> it's like you know when the Socceroos had to go play in San Pedro Sula as well, like same sort of situation <laughs> with that pitch in Honduras. Like that was something else. Uh, uh, yes, the murder capital of the world. Who uh, could... Yes. Who can forget? Warms the cockles. Uh, <laughs> moving on, La Liga over the weekend. Madrid dropped points, but Sevilla failed to capitalise. The title race is still alive, but Sevilla could have made it very, very interesting. Madrid coming from two goals down. Eder Militao scoring in the last minute to salvage a point for them at home. It's more two points. I think still two points dropped for them. It's Even though they did come from two goals down, um, but for Sevilla as well, even they had to come from two goals down as well. Cracking goal from Papu Gomez. Ooh. And it's so good to see Papu Gomez still doing great things even after his days at Atalanta. I think Sevilla are still in the hunt for this. Honestly. I think so too. No, I don't think Dortmund are going to bridge that gap to Bayern. I just, it, but Madrid are beatable. They drop mm-hmm. points. You know, this is a this is sort of the last stand for this very old group of players. And they get a couple of injuries. Sevilla could easily overtake him. There's only four well, points the gap. And well, there's a lot of unpredictability in the results in, in La Liga. They've drawn their last two games, Sevilla, so they've they've missed the chance to uh to actually go level with uh with Madrid at the top of the table. Well, pencil in your calendars the seventeenth of April, Sevilla versus Real Madrid in Seville is going to be an absolute cracker, especially if the gap is still as tight as it is right now. Real Betis as well, still in the hunt. They're ten points behind. They're just great vibes. Another good win for them over the weekend. And Atleti. 3-2 win, coming from behind in the last minute to defeat Valencia. A goals from Angel Correa and Hermoso to get them over the line. That actually came from two down as well. It was, seems like it was that kind of weekend in La Liga, whilst Barcelona won their win over Alaves. And uh, Ante Jukic's best friend, Frankie de Jong, scoring the winner in that one as well. <laughs> this is the weekend of the remontada in Spain. Yes, yes, but just Barcelona weren't the team involved in it this time <laughs> around. Josh, let's move on. Uh, a player made his debut over in Scotland on the weekend. You might know him very well from his time here at Melbourne City. 
Nathaniel Atkinson, he was You're one of the, the Troy McClure intro. Yes, yes. Well, you, <laughs> you might remember, remember him. Me. You might remember him from winning the Joe Master Medal only a few months ago, and uncharacter—well, wouldn't say uncharacteristically, but surprisingly dropped for the majority of the games at the start of this mm. season. It was um, very characteristic, unfortunately. Of, of Patrick, Lally, see him yes. on the bench. Um, he debuted for Hearts in the Scottish Cup over the weekend. He got two assists playing out wide on on the right hand side against. I'm going to try and get this correctly. Uchenlek Talbot. Now, I believe, according to our friend Lockie Flanagan, our, our good friend who's our Scottish football expert, they are a six-division Scottish side. Hearts came away with a 5-0 win. Cameron Devlin and Atkinson both played 90 minutes, merely hours after not being selected for Graham Arnold's Socceroo squad for next week. But good to see we've got another Aussie over there, strutting his stuff, and starting to put his best foot forward because, to be honest, more stuff from these two, especially from Nate Atkinson, might not be long before we see them in the green and gold. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Graham Arnold, after naturalising every Scottish player he could get his hands on, has decided to ignore the two actual Aussies playing it's in Scotland. Scotland. Yes, bizarrely, uh, really and now, and now some of those Aussies, those uh, converted, naturalised Aussies, are actually leaving Scotland. Yes, and one by the name of Jason Cummings. So uh, we'll talk. talk I was about actually referring tomorrow, yeah. to Martin Boyle. But... Yeah, well, he's another one that's also on the way out. Yeah. He's on his way to uh, obviously to the, to, to the Saudi league. Yep, to the um, least. Yes, so he's off. He's um, making the move. Uh, just quickly, in terms of hearts, before we completely move on, go back to Martin Boyle. Uh, they play Celtic on Thursday morning at 6.45 a.m., and that's shaping up as a cracker. Um, Tom Rogic obviously won't be there because he'll be here getting ready to play against Vietnam that night. Uh, but for hearts, trying to keep their hopes of at least making Europe next season, this is going to be a cracking, cracking contest. It's in Edinburgh. I'm looking forward to it, and it's going to be – It's if you're up early and – you want to get see some good football, this is going to be fantastic to watch. I'm trying to look at the players who are on this Saudi side that uh, that Martin Boyle is signed for. Nick, I don't remember if you don't know if you remember Romain Amalfitano. Name sounds very, very familiar. Played for Newcastle United back in the day, one of ah, the many, yes. many yes. Uh, French players scouted by Graham Carr. Yes. Uh, they've got a Cape Verde striker, Julio Tavares. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. a couple of Brazilians and a Dutch midfielder that I've never heard of. So this team is Al Faisali in the Pro League over in Saudi Arabia. They finished ninth last season. Um, I mean, we're seeing a lot of Aussies making the move to the Gulf. Um, I think I, we I, know about as much as about yeah. them as Martin Boyle does. But I mean, you know, look, at the end of the day, this it's against that point where if you can set yourself up for life, essentially by going, yeah. And I think he's done all he can at Hibs. Like he's, he's been part of the furniture, was it, for about seven years now. And he had a great season. He'll go over, he'll set himself up for life. Um, I don't know if this will affect him too much in terms of his Socceroos. Can, like no, sort of his candidacy. He's I think been he's still poorly be received by Hibs fans. If you can uh, look at the top of his Wikipedia, Wikipedia page here, Nick, there's a maybe an unauthorized snake. edit. His com- now common nickname in Scotland amongst Hibernian fans is the word snake. Wow. So, uh, Hibs fans feeling jilted enough. Well, it's not like he went news. to Hearts. Yeah, I mean, come on, like guys got got to beef up your superannuation, and he's nice and local for all these Asian yeah. qualifiers that Australia has to play. And who knows? This might only be a two year thing, and he might decide to come back to Hibs in a couple of years' time if he, you know, stocks up. Yeah, comes back. I'm sure they'll welcome him back with open arms. I don't think that he's going on any ill will, of my knowledge. But I'd be very curious to see how it pans out for him and also how he goes, whether he starts on Thursday, which I'm sure yourself and Jason will get into tomorrow. Josh, let's keep going right through here and let's talk a little bit of transfers because we did mention Martin Boyle. There's a few other big names in the mix. One of them is Dusan Vlaovic. I think maybe in different operating different big, leagues there. The yeah, two of those. big big name in terms of Martin Boyle, big name in Australian football, the, the Australian football circles, but Dusan Vlaovic from a world football perspective, <laughs> definitely a big name. Himself and Renato Sanchez are linked to Arsenal. Now, we know Arsenal are going to need a number nine because Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang is on the way out mm-hmm. and I don't think he's going to be there beyond the end of this season. And they do need some midfield help as well. So he at least won't Sanchez. be in the team if they can get rid of him. Is another matter. Yes, but that's the thing because he's going to be. I think know. it's going to be another Messi Özil situation where they'll threaten not to register him for competitions because yeah, his wages are too high. He's going to get that ridiculous pay packet. I tell you, if I get told to sit at home with that sort of money coming in, yeah, you'd, you'd almost be inclined I, to I try hope, and. Take I hope Gunasaurus isn't in danger of another no, sacking at no, this point. No, de- definitely not. But also, as we mentioned, uh, Vlaovic to come in potentially. That's sort of. Now, out of all the clubs that have been linked to him, Arsenal have now seemed to have taken pole position. Uh, Tottenham were interested, but I think Harry Kane might be sticking around now, which is throwing a bit of a spanner in the works. But because Arsenal do need a striker, 
Vlaovic has now become as the hottest property other than maybe Erling Haaland in terms of a, a gettable number nine, if we're not including Kylian Mbappe. Dusan Vlaovic is that, and we know Fiorentina don't really have a foot to stand mm-hmm. on because Vlaovic has said, I'm out, and Fiorentina have said, yeah, we'll, we'll sell you. Like, they're not even willing to say we're going to play hardball. So having an, interesting. having an offer accepted by Fiorentina is one thing. Convincing Vlahovic to actually join is another completely... And then you've got to deal with Rocco Camiso after that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, look, honestly, I don't think he's going to be the problem. He'll, say, no. he'll take the money. Uh, but Vlahovic is being very cryptic about his next move. I saw... Uh, I heard Mina Rizuki talking on uh, British television about how the agents, there's a lot of intermediaries involved mm. in this particular deal and there's not been a lot of communication between Vlaovic and Fiorentina. It seems as if Arsenal is not viewed as a particularly desirable destination for him, even if the pay packet would be quite alluring. And I, I honestly think he's more likely to end up at Juventus come the end of the season. Well, that's an interesting one because Juventus have the option of himself or Gianluca Scamacca. And knowing Juventus's history, they love to sign the young Italians. It's been part of their thing for so long, you know, getting mm. the best young Italian product. Think about the players they've signed over the last few years, Chiesa, Benedeschi, It may depend Locatelli. on them being able to shift Aaron Ramsey's wages off the books. Well, that's one thing. But it's also then, as we spoke about in depth last week, the Paolo Dybala situation. Yeah. Dybala sticks around. Who knows if they're even going to look getting a striker next season. They might decide to stick with Dybala, Keane, and... And uh, Morata, but Moise Keane's on loan. He might be back at Everton next season. So we don't know what that situation is too. So Arsenal next year in terms of their striker situation, Lacazette is out of contract. So he's, I doubt he'll be there next season. I don't know. And I really, really doubt they'll be giving him a new deal. Aubameyang on the way out as well. It leaves them with just Eddie and Ketia. And that's really their only sort of recognized number nine and follower and Balogun who's on loan at Middlesbrough right now. So, they need a striker. Um, and I get this feeling they're going to throw everything and some at Dusan Vlaovic. I'd just be curious, as you said, whether mm. top four will become sort of it. If Arsenal do make the Champions League, whether that would be enough to sway Vlaovic because it's the, the lure of playing in the Champions League, the opportunity for him to be on a, a greater stage, or does he hold out and maybe hope for that Juventus move? Because it doesn't seem like there are that many more suitors right now. As I said before on this show, I think the hype around Vlajevic is a little bit exaggerated at the moment. I think if you're buying him at this point, you're paying over the odds because of the situation with his intermediaries, yeah. um, because of his goal-scoring form that I'm not sure, based on the XG and so forth, is particularly sustainable. There's a lot of penalties in there as well. And I'm wondering you know, just how useful and versatile a striker he really is. You know, He's a great finisher, but do you need more than that to your game? I mean, Mm. honestly, you you look at Lukaku's return to Chelsea and he's not a massively dissimilar player to Vlaovic, but he's been come under a lot of criticism because of his lack of involvement in the play. And, you know, I I wonder whether Vlaovic, you know, being made the big money signing and having all the pressure on his shoulders uh, would necessarily live up to that at Arsenal when you don't necessarily have a team that creates a lot of goal-scoring opportunities. Yeah, that's an interesting point because with Lukaku, if you remember him last season, mm. he was the complete opposite to that. Like, he was getting involved, he was dropping deep, he yeah. was doing all that stuff, and everyone thought, geez, this is a new Romelu Lukaku. But for Lukaku, I think the difference is it's a mindset thing. I just don't think he wants to be there at all. Yeah. Because I think as much as Inter fans might say it differently, I think it was more a situation of necessity for him to be sold to save the club. I think if he had it his way and he probably had it again, he might push to stay a little bit harder and they might, you know, try force someone else out instead or whatever else. But with Vlaovic, you are right. He is not that same kind of guy. He's not the kind of guy to drop deep and get involved in the play. He likes to play off the shoulder. He's he's a target man. He's a big guy. Um, how he links up with the likes of Martin Odegaard and Emil Smith-Rowe will be very interesting whether that actually happens. Because as you said, Josh, you know, they don't create a hell of a lot. So what's the support cast going to be like next season? Are they going to look at bringing in some other, some new wingers? I know Bakaya Saka's had a good year. Martinelli's had injuries. But they do need to bolster that area of the pitch as well. So I'm very, very curious to see how it plays out with Vlaovic because it, it really is coming down to Arsenal and Juventus right now unless another team sells and looks to, unless, say, Harry Kane leaves and Conte gets Vlaovic. Yeah. There isn't anybody else. I can't see, say, for instance, Milan spending to get Vlaovic because I just genuinely think that they're not going to want to spend that sort of money on him right now. 
and I don't think they have the money to spend on him in that matter either. There really isn't. Like, the Bundesliga, no, there's no one really, unless Dortmund, unless Erling Haaland out, Dusan Vlaovic in, but I don't know if he fits the Dortmund's no, they style tend, of they, play. They, in terms of this, their transfers as well, yeah. I mean, I think he probably fit Dortmund's style because they counterattack a lot. Absolutely. Um, but I don't think they have the money for him, and I don't think they're really willing to... Uh, invest in a guy who's already really well known. They tend to sign the guy, uh, guys sort of level below him that are younger and more up and coming, and they can they can sell on for a profit. Sure, um, sure. You know, maybe Highland they got in just early enough to to get him there when he was starting mm. to generate some hype with his form at Salzburg. I think Vlavic the boat has sailed now, and they're not going to stump up you know seventy million euros or whatever it's going to take to get him. What happens if Lukaku leaves Chelsea? Would Chelsea potentially look at him? Potentially. I mean, Chelsea are always in the market for star yeah. players. You know, you never know what Chelsea are going to spend money on. Yeah. Uh, but I, I still think Juve is the most likely destination for this guy. He seems to want to go there. Um, and Arsenal will have to make a very attractive offer for him, to sway him. You know what? Right now, neither of those sides are playing in the Champions League next season. Sure. And that's going to be a big thing. If Juventus signing the Champions I know you have a very different situation. There's, they've been successful a lot more recently and in greater amounts than Arsenal have been in the last 20 years. But I think no Juventus Champions League. UCL. I think they'll sneak into I think spot. I think they may, but at the same as time... As much as I hate to say it, I yeah, think they will. Uh, but still, though, like... I think that's what's going to come down to is if it's between Arsenal and Juventus, it's going to come to... Say if they both make it and there is a spot for him at Juve, he'll go to Juve. But if Arsenal make it and Juve don't, that would be very interesting. Just to see whether the Juve lore is still there, even without the Champions League. Let's finish on a heartwarming story. Much yes. like the sort of six o'clock news. Yes. We'll go to our... It's not a dog story, though, or no. a, a, a cute animal story. It's very different. <laughs> no, this is... A road back, a redemption arc. Yes. And this is fantastic to see that Christian Eriksen has agreed terms. It hasn't been completed, but we're expecting to see it done in the next 72 hours. Christian Eriksen has agreed terms with Brentford to sign on a six-month deal just till the end of the season, just to see how he goes in his return to football. But I think this is fantastic because they'll – have a welcoming environment at Brentford for him because there's already that Danish connection yeah, with yeah, Thomas Frank. so many Danish players as well. With the yeah. ownership, uh, being the guy who owns Michelin, big Danish link running the, through the whole uh, whole thing. And even if the Premier League proves maybe too fast and too furious for a guy coming back from, you know, heart failure, uh, <clears> then <throat> maybe a move to Michelin in Denmark could be on the cards and they keep him within the same family of clubs. So I think it's a great spot for him. And I just would love to see him on a football pitch again. I think it's incredible. In terms of just the fact that he was, he's back out there and potentially going to play again, um, only seven months after what happened in that game against Finland is unbelievable to even think, you know, like we didn't, like who knows what could have happened in that situation. Even if it wasn't for Simon Kier, it could have, you know, gotten a hell of a lot worse. Um, the fact that Brentford, are offering him a six-month deal. They wouldn't be offering him a six-month deal if he wasn't ready to go. I think that's one thing we've got to remember too. This is There's every chance that he could play and he could still have an impact. And we know how naturally talented, how good Christian Eriksen still is. I mean, you don't lose that. Like, you don't lose that touch. You don't lose that skill. And he only I mean, left Italy because of regulations around well, these yeah. internally uh, placed and, defibrillators. And, and, Inter, and Inter, probably, if it was a different situation, Inter would have loved to have kept him around. I'm mm. sure that, you know, Simone Inzaghi, who loves his creative midfield, as we saw what he did with Milinkovic-Savic and Luis Alberto, he would have loved to have Ericsson in that yeah. team this year. So it's I, just red tape, essentially. They yeah, have to let him go. If, and... if, this, if this pans out, look, as you said, he might not start. He might not play many games at all. He might play very little minutes. But imagine, you know, you get him out there for 20 minutes at the end, you know, just around mm-hmm. the, having him around the dead ball, whether it's a set pick, whether it's a free kick or a corner, you know, he, he can create something out of nothing. And Brentford right now, they need results. They, sure. they need results right now. They're in that mid-table sort of now starting to teeter a little bit closer towards the drop. They've lost four in a row. They're eight points ahead of Newcastle. They'll want to make sure they stay out of that sort of, because right now that's it's almost a safe gap, but a couple more losses and a couple more wins to some of those teams and you're right in amongst it again. And there's a couple of teams below them yep. with games in hand. They've yep. played 23 and all the teams below well, them in Burnley's the table. Burnley's played five less games. Exactly. Than them, so the ta- table could change very, very, very quickly. quickly. The thing that Brentford need more than anything 
is a little bit more realization in the final third, a little bit more clinicality. Maybe that's it. Final ball, final finish. You know, if you watch the game they played against Manchester United in the first half, they had so many chances and it was spot on. Like they, they completely dominated United in the first half. They fell away in the second and they lost it well, and they only had themselves to blame. They've been so profligate this yeah. season with, you know, creating so many opportunities and maybe with Ericsson just perched on top of the box, just has that little bit of quality. To play through an Ivan Tony yeah, or, an Ueno, or, or you know. strike the ball yeah. himself. He's, he's a very technically uh, adept player and a great striker, of clean striker of a ball if he gets space. So who knows? Maybe he'll pop up with one of those crucial uh, relegation uh, saving goals for, for Brentford come the end of the season. Oh, hey, remember heartwarming stories in terms of players that came back. Remember Jonas Gutierrez back, yep. when was it, in 2015 or 16? And he scored the goal that kept Newcastle up, the John Carver Newcastle of 2015, 16. Um, I think it was his, like, one of his only wins. I think it might have been his only win. That's activated <laughs> a neuron that hasn't yeah. really stirred in a long time, Nick. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's funny. Whenever I think Newcastle, I actually think John Carver. That, that says something. But um, in terms of... Um, it's just a great story. It'd be just great to see him out there. Whether he has an impact or not, the fact that he could be playing again, whether he stays beyond the end of this season, we don't know. But it's just good to see him back and having the opportunity to get his career back on track. Um, Josh, it's time for us to say goodbye. Uh, another episode here of the Euro Show. Miss any of it? Head over to our podcast platform, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get it. Catch up on it. We chat all things Mario Balotelli at the start of the program. A lot to get into with that one. Uh, setting our title race. Nathaniel Atkinson and co. And also plenty of transfer news tomorrow, the Oz Football Hour and Radio Dub. And on Wednesday, the African Nations Cup with Josh Parrish back on the touchline with Lockie Flanagan and potentially a special guest. But from what time, Josh? It's a 4 p.m. kickoff for the women's final and a 6 p.m. kickoff for the men's. And, yeah, I'm going to try and get some special guests uh, on the commentary throughout the broadcasts, uh, including one who's played at a very, very high level on the women's game. And and where can we catch this? So it'll be streamed on the Football Empowerment Facebook page, and we'll also share it from that page to FNR. And then it'll also be in all the usual FNR places, Twitter, Twitch, and YouTube, if you want to watch it on your TV and Chromecast it or whatever. Probably YouTube's easiest, so... uh, yeah, jump on that, uh, 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Wednesday. It's always a great spectacle and a high standard of play, but most of all, it's uh, just the highlight of it is the atmosphere yeah. and the celebrations. There was a goal for uh, Botswana yesterday. They went on to lose, but their second goal when they went in front against South Sudan, the guy who wasn't even involved, he didn't touch the ball. He was near the ball when it went in. He didn't touch the ball. He was doing backflips in the background <laughs> as, as the actual goal scorer slid on his knees towards the fans. And I didn't even see it until I watched the highlights back. And, hey, if you're in the area, make sure to get down as well. If you want to get down and enjoy yes. all the action in person. It is Ralph Reserve, uh, which is the home of Western Suburbs Soccer Club in Sunshine West. And there's also an under-18s final at, at 2 p.m. So there's basically festivities throughout the afternoon and evening on Australia Day. Fantastic. Well, time for us to say goodbye. Back again tomorrow for the Oz Football Hour from 6 p.m. Yes. Sure. yes, 6 p.m., 6 7 p.m. for Radio, Radio Dub. Dub. But for myself, Nick Devano and Josh Barish, we'll be back next Monday. Bye for now.